0: Welcome, friends. James Corbett here, CorbettReport.com. Today is the third Monday of the month, and of course, all of you will know by now, that means only one thing. It is time for another edition of the very famous, very popular film, Literature and the New World Order. And as everyone who was listening last month to our conversation with James Evan Pallotto about Citizen Kane will already know... Today we're going to be talking about Aldous Huxley's Island, his final novel, written in, and were published in 1962 at any rate, and very much in the tradition of utopian literature, going back, one could argue, to Sir Thomas More's 16th century utopia, and of course ta- uh, engaging with uh, Aldous Huxley's more famous work, uh, Brave New World, in interesting ways. And we're going to break down some of those ways what this book is all about what it really means and how it uh, how it succeeds or fails in its mission of painting this picture of a utopian society and in order to do that we're going to be joined today by Will Morgan who people who are attentive listeners to the Corbett report might remember co-interviewed me way back in the day on the sync books, 42 minutes podcast. Of course, that's at the And we'll put the link in the show notes uh, so that you can go and check that out again, if you want to, if you haven't done so before, check it out for the first time. So uh, Will Morgan, it is great to have you on the program. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Well, thank you, James. I've been a big fan for a long time. So to actually, you know, be here with you today is, is pretty, pretty exciting for me.
0: Well, thank you for that. I'm looking forward to the conversation, too. And this is a conversation that goes back to that appearance of mine on on SyncBook Radio at 42 Minutes, where I, I think it was at, at some at some point in the conversation you mentioned this book and how you, you were interested in talking about it. And I thought, well, you know, it's an Aldous Huxley book. I haven't read it before. Let's put it on the conversation list. And so here we are all these months later finally talking about it. But I guess we could maybe start at that point. What was it about this book specifically that that you wanted to to share? Why why are we talking about this book today?
1: Well, it goes back to something that you said, I believe in questions for Corbett number 12. Um I can't remember the exact title of it. I think it actually is titled uh specifically for the the comment that you made on Huxley. Um I think the question was something along the lines of uh uh 1984 and Morning, a brave new world, right? Yes, exactly. That's what it was. And you know, I'd, I'd known your opinion on Huxley for a while, but shortly after hearing that podcast, I was looking at um, archive.org, like I mo- I do in the mornings. I'll find an individual that I'm really interested in, and then I'll just look for audio for them. And I was looking at Dr. Jeffrey Kripal, who is uh, the I think, professor of religion or religious studies in Rice University in Texas. Uh, we've interviewed him quite a few times on 42 Minutes, and I really enjoy everything he does. And I came across this, uh, this audio that he did called The Forgotten Aldous Huxley, where it was um, – I'd never read the book before. And uh, he, he basically compared it to almost a, a, a picture negative to A Brave New World. And I really wanted to see if it had any effect on your opinion of Huxley after you read it. So I guess we can start with that question. I mean, has your view of Huxley changed post-Island? I would say it's
0: different. I'm not sure that my ultimate conclusion would be fundamentally different. But I'm willing to be convinced, so I'm going to be listening to your argument today. But I, I would say um, that I have made the argument a number of times now that Huxley being sort of steeped in the milieu that he was, part of the family that he was, part of the uh, the family very much steeped in the eugenics agenda as it is, and with the brother who did what he did, I've often made the argument that, that Brave New World was more like a, uh, a type of... Um, uh, don't throw me in the briar patch type of argument from from Huxley. Oh no, isn't it so awful that we'll be able to control you with this conditioning? And I realize that's an argument that has been made mostly through association and family lineage and things like that, which is not fair to Huxley. So let's try to examine Island as a work in itself without thinking about those those other associations and see what we can come uh, come up with, because... It is a very interesting book. I, I will say that first of all. I mean, it, it truly was uh, fascinating to watch Huxley spinning out this idea of this this utopian-type society. And I think the Eden comparison is made a few times explicitly in the book, and I think it's, it's obviously woven into the into the fabric of the book and the idea of the fall um, at the end it being kind of a, a perverse opposite mirror image of the the sort of Christian ta- tale of the fall from uh, grace and and the expulsion from Eden. Here we have kind of the, uh, I guess the, the Western Christian world coming in to invade this Eden and to, to cause a fall of its own. So it, it's a very, I mean, very well constructed, very interesting, and there's lots of good arguments in here and lots of things to think about. But, um, I guess we'll just jump straight into it. I, I mean, I guess fundamentally, I wasn't convinced by it. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that I am f- certainly fascinated by the idea of the utopia and the s- society that works on on all these different levels. And and it's uh, scientifically crafted. And it's crafted also in, in terms of people's, uh, what I believe Huxley coined in this book, the word neurotheology. Um, playing on people's uh, cognitive perceptions of religious experience and things like this, and how this can be used to create a better society. It's it's definitely an interesting idea, but the idea itself, um, I don't know how to frame it. It's not that the idea scares me, it's that there's something just unsettling about the idea of this this place where everybody's everybody's happy everybody fits in they find a way to make everybody fits it, fit in now, all of these problems that people have in growing up in, in trying to to come to a better understanding of themselves and their world is all taken care of in this kind of vast system that's been laid out over the course of generations and and while of course there are certain things that happen and and accidents and and what have you and and s- bad things continue to happen everyone is pretty much sanguine with with their life and there's just something in my nature, that rebels against <laughs> that idea. And I know this is going to sound <laughs> ridiculous. Too, 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 too
1: much smashing pumpkins,
0: man. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let me bring in a different cultural reference, since you are <laughs> at the sync book. This, this might... I don't know how you'll interpret this. But it's, it's something that I was thinking of when, um, when reading this book. There was an old uh, episode of the original Star Trek series called The Apple, where the enterprise discovers this this uh this planet where there's all these people who are living this you know peaceful beautiful life on this um perfectly temperature controlled planet and they have everything provided to them and and everything's working okay and uh all they have to do is is sacrifice or or just give give offerings to this uh this this thing that they worship I think it's actually called ball. I, I'm not sure about that. I don't know. It's something like that. Anyway, um, and and the, so they all, that's what they do. They 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 every so often they they give the, their offering to oh sorry vol not ball, <laughs> but obviously anyway um, and 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 this is it, it's kind of this utopian society. Everyone's happy, but the crew of the Enterprise um, comes away with the idea that this is kind of. These people are in 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 servitude. There, it's almost like a type of slavery. It's utopia and paradise, but it's a slavery to this Vol, which controls everything. And of course, Vol turns out to be a computer left by some alien civilization or something. I don't know, but I, I don't really remember the, the the details of the story. But I remember that 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 idea that was embedded in this that utopia and this perfect society. Still, there's something about the human spirit that that desires strife and 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 finding oneself through adversity and conflict and and this kind of sterilized society that huxley is painting just really rang hollow to me and and it brought up to my mind the question of what what about the centers of this system what about people who don't fall into this system what about people who fall through the cracks and of course that brings up the question of the rani and uh, her son his name, I don't remember, Murugutan
1: or something like that. No, Morrigan. Yes. Murugan. Yes, yes. See, I don't know if you noticed, everybody was named after gods. I did There's not know Tom, that. Yeah. Well, M- Murugan, I've come across him because I do a lot of work with uh, blue gods and peacocks and seeing how they show up in our modern uh, like uh, pop culture. And, and Murugan is a peacock god. Uh he's often seen with the peacock and stuff, but there's Tom Krishna. There was what was her name? Mary Cerogini or something. So she had the name of Mary. Almost all of the children who are on the island are named after, you know, assorted pantheons.
0: Interesting. But
1: but, but, I, 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 guess I, but we... I feel like I feel like you're talking more about the Brave New World. Um, the Brave New World seems to be a world that's very like um Everything that's painful and bad and everything is, is suppressed through distraction. And yet the island, I mean, the first thing that happens to uh, our, 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 our hero, I guess, for lack of a better term, Will Farnaby, I think his name is. Will Farnaby is, uh, he's shipwrecked on the island. He climbs the cliff. He runs into a bunch of snakes, and he can't get over the snakes. And then when the young kids find him one of him one of them walk him through how to to get over the, the traumatic experience of having these snakes. And the whole book seems to be this conquering of of past hardships. Well in the Brave New World it's totally different. I mean they take the soma drug or whatever, they they, they diseducate or 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 leave their their offspring in ignorance and so forth to to pay no attention to hardcore to to, to pay no attention to the hardcore you know uh, hard knocks of life or whatever and then in the island there's really this this lean of education on how to deal with hardships did you notice that or No oh, no of course
0: I did yeah absolutely no that's quite explicit and I think it's qu- I I wouldn't disagree with that at all I think it's quite obvious that that brave new world was intended at the, at the sort of surface level, at, at any rate, to be that kind of nightmare society. And the reader is supposed to understand that, and I think they do. And in this case, I think it's the exact opposite. I think that it's quite obvious that this is uh, Huxley's earnest intention to try to show a society in which people do overcome fears and, 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 and all of the you know, pain and longing and all of these things through the various processes that are described. And I'm I'm on board with a lot of them. I mean, a lot of these things that, that are described in this society, I don't have any issue with. I mean, uh, I'm reading from the Vintage Classics edition, page 147, discu- d- discouraging children from taking words too seriously, teaching them to analyze whatever they hear or read. This is an integral part of the school curriculum. Hey, I'm on board with that. That sounds great. Um... Uh, page 145. Paula's a gold-producing country. We mine enough to give our paper a solid metallic backing, and the gold supplements our exports. So they have, uh, real money. That sounds, that sounds good. Um, uh... Again, some interesting ones in here. I've, 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 you'll excuse me, I've highlighted like thousands of passages, so I'm yeah, going randomly the through thing. them. But page 179, uh, she even knows because it's been explained to her that if prayers are sometimes answered, it's because in this very odd psychophysical world of ours, ideas have a tendency, if you concentrate your mind on them, to get themselves realized, which is one of those concepts that I start to get a bit queasy at. And then, um, and then there's the, the one, um, uh, I hope I can find it now. Where basically they said that, um, uh, well, they they spend all this time talking about how how uh, religious superstition in, in the West is used to you know mess with people's minds and keep them oppressed and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. And then there's this passing reference um, when they're talking about artificial insemination and how widespread it is on the island. There's this passing reference to how it's accepted because uh basically, of karma and reincarnation makes it uh, acceptable to the to the husbands who who allow their wives to do this and and it's just those kind of passing references. It's like uh, it just seems uh, disingenuous um, to to be attacking uh, the, the sort of religious religiosity of the West and then just slipping in these random religious nonsense pseudo explanations into into some of the things on the island which I had problems with. But I think at the more fundamental level, I realize that my uneasiness with the the sort of seeming happiness of this island probably says more about me than it does about what Huxley (laughs) was actually creating. But in some ways, that might be the point. Because again, I think that there is something to the idea that human nature being what it is, although a society like this might work out for, for some people... I still think there will be that human desire to escape the confines of a system like this. And it just seems too totalizing to me in a way that it's hard to put my finger on. It's true.
1: Well, let's see. There was about 30 years difference between brave new world and this book. Do you think that it has a lot to do with the change in Huxley overall? I mean, this is, there's a lot that happened to Huxley in between these books for one, of course, um, I can't confirm it but from what I hear uh, is a psychedelic experience
0: yes um, I believe I read that his first psychedelic experience was in the early 1950s again I'm not sure that was sourced to anything in particular but certainly at some point he did have psychedelic experiences sometime between brave new world and the writing of this book obviously and in fact, I believe it was his dying wish as he was dying on November 22nd, 1963, as JFK was dying, and also as C.S. Lewis was dying. Quite an interesting day. Um, he was injected with, uh, with LSD as part of his dying wish. He wanted to, I guess, spend forever in that eternity of LSDness. Um, so, so absolutely, I, I think that, that has, was a huge uh, influence on, on the writing of this book. As was, according to what I've read, and again, I don't have sources on this, so I'm not sure it's true, but I read that, at any rate, he was diagnosed with uh, with cancer towards the end of his life, and this book was written during that period when he's kind of facing his own mortality. Again, I, I don't know if that's true, but it would certainly make sense that this was sort of a final attempt to try to put something positive in terms of what he wanted to see rather than, you know, the... The, uh, the, the Brave New World type of, of, of uh, you know, emergency, we shouldn't be falling into this, which was what he was trying to say, supposedly. Um, but let me throw a complete curveball into this mix, because there the uh, work of Jan Irvin and others has attempted to show, at any rate, that uh, Huxley was deeply involved with the CIA's MKUltra program and uh, the Esselin Institute and, and things of this sort, which were attempting to really institute a, a psychedelic era in the united states and in in some ways was responsible for the drug culture of the 60s so mm. i think that's a i mean that's an interesting aside and of course it does fall in line with what uh, huxley was saying in the 30s in, in brave new world when he was talking about how drugs could be used as a form of psychological control so there's a lot of stuff thrown in that mix um but but what was so so where would you like to take that
1: Well, I'd like to, just because I don't want the fact to be missed, there was an earthquake in Aslan the same day that he died and the same day that Kennedy died, which has always been a weird coincidence. Um, But that's just on, on off to the side. The thing is, is there's a lot of defeatism in Brave New World and a lot of optimism An island. And since the book was written in 1962, I think the optimism had a big effect as far as the uh, the Asalon Institute and stuff goes. Uh, You can definitely tell that everything that came out of the Asilon Institute and everything that came out of the hippie generation was definitely influenced by Huxley. But a later Huxley and, and not an early Huxley. As, as a brave new world shows, they, they use drugs as a form of control. And although there is control that is used, I'm talking about the Shiva scene, the, the Shiva temple scene in island. They use drugs as more of uh, an, a mind opening or an, an, a, uh, an expansion instead of a, a bottling up. I don't really see too much MK Ultra in Island. I see a great deal of MK Ultra in Brave New World. And and I I, I don't know, I just can't get over that point. It seems that there was it, it seems that the I don't know if the MK Ultra is is warranted in Island. I don't know if the, it should be tagged with that label at all. Um, Well,
0: again, again, MKUltra isn't a label. It was an actual program that was developed by the CIA, started in 1952, which, again, from what I'm reading online, and I really should have more of these sources uh, sourced, but uh, was apparently the year that uh, Aldous Huxley returned to the United States and... In this formulation, that is uh, no coincidence itself, and I I will just put a link in the show notes so that people can go and f- further explore the the uh, the links between Timothy uh, Timothy Leary and the CIA and MK Ultra and Aldous Huxley, uh, so they can they can uh, explore that issue more fully for themselves. But it it uh, I think the the point of uh, that that authors like that are trying to make is that there was a a deliberate attempt to implant in the culture the the uh, the drug culture the 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 1960s what became the uh, the the flowering of the psychedelic uh, generation and and all of the, that and that obviously couldn't be done by just strapping people to gurneys and injecting them force injecting them with LSD I mean obviously there had to be a, a type of selling of this to the public and in that regard I mean Island certainly is kind of like a big advertisement for psychedelic experience I mean it's it certainly seems that uh, that it's an encouragement. Hey, hey, kids! This is a great thing that will clear and free your mind.
1: Um, why don't you think? Why do you think that Island is not as popular as Brave New World, or not as referenced? That's that is a good question. Um,
0: I think that fear generally plays on the mind better than the opposite. So that when Brave New World is presented as this type of you know nightmare society, that. Is something that people resonate with, and and people are attracted, obviously, to to fear um, things that make them afraid for a number of reasons, but mostly I think because as human beings we're kind of hardwired to be interested in in uh, things that are a potential threat to us. So people see the the sort of threatening nature of the Brave New World and and can latch onto that in the same way that maybe 1984 does. Um, positive solutions as i've found even in my own podcasts tend to be a lot less interesting to people a lot less popular a <laughs> lot less people actually care about them i mean people will always say that they will always say oh you, you know you don't offer any solutions what's the solution but uh, but i found in my own personal experience that people are much less interested in in actual positive solutions so that might be one side of it i mean this is an earnest attempt to prevent to uh, to present some sort of utopian society and as such i think
1: people are just less less interested in hearing about that nothing happens <laughs> i mean because yeah, literally yeah. the book is farnaby going from one conversation to the other as the island is explained to him there's a there's a real deliberate air to huxley's pen in both the brave new world you find yourself being in scenes for a direct purpose and there's a lot more Action, I guess you could say, in Brave New World. Did you notice how many scenes were repeated in both?
0: I did not. I haven't re- read uh, Brave New World for a few years now, so I, I wasn't really well. I,
1: that. Well, just to 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 name a few. Let's see, both have a death scene um, where the the, the in a Brave New World, the Savage is confronted with the death of his mom. As they he he gets overly frustrated because she's totally drugged. On uh, soma, I think that's the name of the drug, isn't it? In Britain the world, Yep. Yes, yep. And and then and the other one. It's also I the name remember.
0: of a Smashing Pumpkins song, but <laughs> that's a thing for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> full circle. Um. So and then in Island, they're faced with the 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 woman who's dying throughout the entire book, and both. It, Complete opposite scenes. The savage is totally frustrated as as his drug his drugged mother cannot even complete a sentence. And then in and, uh, the the other one, the island's death scene is is joyous, and she's ushered into death. She's she's gently brought into where she needs to be and so forth through uh, psychedelics. Um, there's also another scene, uh, the Feelies, when they go to the Brave or, or in Brave New World, they go to the Feelies, which is an overly stimulated um, uh, a movie experience where they get sensations and everything, totally distracting, totally, I think the savage calls it base and ennoble afterwards. You, you shouldn't be watching this stuff and instead of the movie scene, they have the puppet scene an island where they watch Oedipus Rex uh, with with puppets, and then of course the books both end in this um, sexual tension crescendo, where the love interest is is not attained or explored. Except of course, the island is much more uh, um, a, a glorious thing, and not so much a, a death and defeated experience. That that is interesting. Do you think that was deliberate? Oh yes, most certainly. I think that that's the whole point. If anything, I think you know. I kind of wonder if the paranoid side of me thinks that Huxley was perhaps crewbricked. If you get my meaning, I, I think I do. But let's spell it out for people. You mean he was well, uh, taken out? Yeah. Well, it, I don't. I think that I've entertained that idea for sure. I mean, if you if you kind of see Huxley as being um, a mouthpiece for for establishment, in, in parentheses then island would almost be a handbook on, on how to separate yourself from the control. I mean they say it over and over. This is how you get away from ty- tyrants in the island. This is – we train our people to, to not be tyrant fodder. And it's the same thing as Stanley Kubrick. It's almost spelled out to you in, in, in bright terms. There's quite a few times that Huxley makes comments about, you know, the the overly um propagandized public and and how they're used by individuals as control an island. And um uh, it was Pete's. a year later he's
0: dead. Page 155. There is nothing in his theories to restrain a delinquent muscle man or an untreated Peter Pan from trampling on anyone he could get his feet on. That was Acton's uh, fatal weakness. As a political theorist, he was altogether admirable. As a practical psychologist, he was almost non existent. He seems to have thought that the power problem could be solved by good social arrangements, supplemented, of course, by sound morality and a spot of revealed religion. But the power problem has its roots in anatomy and biochemistry and temperament. Power has to be curbed on the legal and political levels, that's obvious. But it's also obvious that there must be prevention on the individual level, on the level of instinct and emotion, on the level of the glands and the viscera, the muscles and the blood, which is, I think, true in many senses. I think that that is an apt observation, but Um, to my mind, at least, that starts to bring up the idea of the organized control of the habits of society as a way of making society into the, uh, at least ameliorating the worst effects of the the muscle man or the Peter Pan syndrome, as they they detail in this book, which um, brings to my mind, of course, people like Edward Bernays, who were just quite open about what they were doing, um,
1: and Walter Littman and others. Oh, there's no doubt of Huxley's education in both books. He knows what he's talking about, and somebody, you know, he has a higher education than than the the rest of the world at that point. He he knows what they're doing, and he's he's laying it out. But you know, um, well, let's let's switch gears here. What do you think about sex in, in this book? Um. Yeah. It was. Uh
0: Again, I see the mirror to the Brave New World society, where there's kind of free love, but in this case, it's it is notably different. in In the Brave New World example, it was, uh, I believe, mandated, wasn't it, to to have uh, as much sexual relations as possible. And and uh, I yeah, believe there's pont-
1: a there's a scene where a young boy is crying because he he won't participate. They're they're taking young kids and they're making them have sexual games. Mm. And it, and in this book, the young is taught about sex, um, but a, a totally, like I said, a, a negative opposite of, of what it is in Brave New World.
0: Right. And in this case, it's the the tantric yoga type sex, and uh, the uh, the attention to the to the moment and and things of that nature that that transforms it and transforms the act
1: into something spiritually satisfying, or or something along those lines. Um. Yeah, take one sexually inept inept wage slave, one dissatisfied female, two, or if preferred, I think this is more dealing with the family, this particular quote, and I don't have the page number, than with sex, but it was still interesting to me. Take one sexually inept wage slave, one dissatisfied female, two, or if preferred, three small television addicts, uh, marinate in a mixture of Freudism, and dilute Christianity, then bottle up tightly in a four-room flat and stew for 15 years in their own juices. Our recipe is rather different. Take 20 sexually satisfied couples and their offspring, add science, intuition, and humor in equal quantities, steep in tantric Buddhism, and simmer indefinitely in an open pan in the open air over a brisk flame of affection."
0: Yes, well, it sounds quite beautiful, doesn't it? And I would yes. just, yes, rolls would, right off the tongue. Great, and I would, yeah, it is quite beautiful writing. But I would also add uh, snidely, parenthetically, that I pr- probably could create a perfect society in a nice temperate uh, tropical island paradise as well, without, <laughs> without any you know natural predator animals or things of that sort. But, <laughs> but it is, um, yeah, I mean, it is an interesting uh, a contrast to what was happening in Brave New World, and it. Um, and it also raises the issue of the family structure, as you note, because it, uh, uh, it the, in, on the island there is this uh, I, I can't remember what they call it, the mutual adoption club or something like that. The MAC. Yes, MAC, where the basically children, when they're feeling like they want to, they can go and and go to another family's house and and just live with them for days or weeks or whatever they want to, uh, before returning back to their home. And um, everyone sees that as quite normal and and natural. And uh, I I found that an interesting parallel. Again, I I mentioned in the introduction to this conversation about uh, Thomas More's Utopia, um, which I think has to be one of the starting points for this this entire branch of literary fiction, creating a a fictional island utopia paradise. And interestingly enough, that, that utopia also had the idea of communal... Kind of communal family living. There, were, it wasn't so much that parents and children were wedded, to, so to speak. It was, uh, it was more like the, the children were communally raised. And uh, I, I, I find that interesting that it keeps popping up in in this type of utopian fiction. And it I, again, I, I mean, I, I see that reflected in the rather chilling comments of people like MSNBC contributor. It's going to escape my mind but uh she uh was recently talking about how your children aren't really your own and uh and you know they you have to understand they're they're part of the state um which again is is chilling it's interesting so many of these concepts are utopian on one side but in a slightly different context become quite nightmarish and that that's part part of what you're gesturing to i think i mean the brave new world and island societies are uh, and, and the books themselves are are very parallel in some ways, and one is presented as this kind of nightmarish society, and the other is this utopian society. And they're not completely different. I mean they're they're just sort of shades of difference between them well
1: the the whole anti he's hard on the family in both books. um uh, of course, the explanation lies in Brave New World, where they almost worship Freud as a god. and of course, Freud. He has these theories about the family's effect on their neuroses of an individual, how they're trapped or locked into this prison with their mother and father. And that goes to play at the Oedipus. That, that's totally what the Oedipus play is about at the end of Island. Yes, um, I,
0: I thought it was quite humorous. So this is Oedipus in Paula, where the two Pollen uh, children show up, Polynesian children show up, and and, and basically tell, the day. yeah, they <laughs> tell Oedipus, well, what are you doing? Just uh, you know, you shouldn't be married to your <laughs> mother anymore, and and mother, why would you kill yourself? Just just stop what you're doing.
1: Don't poke your eyes out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it kind of deflates
1: the uh, the drama of it, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a very, you know, God comes down out of the clouds and says, you don't have to die. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know, I know. It's funny. In Brave New World, they actually – they say, what is it, uh, orgy porgy and something about they, – they call Freud Ford, like he's the lord or whatever. And I definitely think that Freud's opinion of the family is uh, a mainstay in how Huxley uh, read what he thinks is one of the most destructive things in our society, I- which –
0: uh, either you just blew my mind, or uh, and I've been misreading Brave New World all this time, or or something's been misunderstood. I thought the Ford, the year of our Ford and all of that in Brave New World, I thought that was a reference to Henry Ford.
1: I thought he said, he's he made a comment about uh, somewhere in Brave New World, he says he was called Freud when he talked about, he called himself Freud. Uh when he talked about psychological things, I'll have to go back and make sure and reference my, my sighting here. But I, 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 it's been a while for me as well, but I almost, and I think that that might be a conclusion just when I was trying to, uh, compare these two that I came to, I definitely think that the Freud thing has something to do with his attack on the family for sure.
0: Well, it, it certainly is quite explicit in, um, Oh, okay. I, I'm just reading on the, the Wikipedia page, that bastion of truthiness about Brave New World. Um, Henry Ford has become a messianic, messianic figure to the world straight. R. Ford is used in place of our Lord. Uh, Sigmund Freud, R. Our F- our Freud is sometimes said in place of R. Ford due to the link between Freud's psychoanalysis and the conditioning of humans and Freud's popularization of the idea that sexual activity is essential to human happiness, etc. So et cetera. it's a little yeah, of both. A little of both, yeah. Ah, we're both right. We both need to reread Brave New World. That's the the real point. Okay, well, let me let me um, see if I can change fundamentally change your conception of this book. Um, You posit this as being a positive book. uh, uh, uh,
1: not totally. I mean, there's quite a few things that I kind of made me lift my eyebrows too. But I think that that was more of Huxley's personal you know, idea and, and conclusions and less of predictive programming.
0: Well, let me, let me see if I can change your opinion on the tenor of the book because in some ways, I think this is a deeply, deeply pessimistic book. Um, in fact, an extremely dark book because of the way it ends. And the ending is kind of inevitable. I mean, you you see it coming from pretty much the very beginning. As soon as you realize what's happening in this book, you know how it's going to end and you know that Colonel Deepa is going to take over the island and it's going to, you know, the paradise is going to be ruined. And of course, that's exactly what happens. And the implication seems to be that this wonderful paradise utopia society is completely defenseless to this. And in fact, they even explicitly talk about this in a conversation towards the end where it's just kind of, well, if this is our fate, then we're resigned to it. And uh, and and again, the interesting part of it is that the the revolution takes place at least partially from within, it, um, from from Murugan and um, his mother, the Rani, um, who are uh, who are Polynesians, and they they sort of invite in the Beast. Um, so a- again, I think that it's. It's extremely dark on one side because it, the best that we can possibly hope to achieve as human beings, this utopian state of paradise is so exceptionally fragile and it seems, according to the logic of the book, is almost inevitably taken over by the, the sort of the, the, the outside world, the other side of the, the equation, the, uh, the you know quest for oil and money and capitalism and, and, uh, and death and, and all of that It seems to invade the island in an almost inevitable move
1: oh yes i thought about this is that what happens at the end i was a little confused they're in their lsd or their mushroom trip they hear the jeeps roll in the jeeps roll up to the house there's shots that they hear and then the jeeps roll out and then that's the end of the book yes so is that what they the jeeps rolling out was not a sign of them being defeated they basically came in
0: i didn't i didn't take it that way um recognition dawned, that. it's Murigan, and he's with deepest soldiers. Uh, Progress, the uncertain, excited voice was saying, modern life, and then moving on from Sears Roebuck to the Rani and Kutumi. Truth, it squeaked values, genuine spirituality, oil. Um, right. I mean, it, it certainly seemed to me that the implication is that they've taken over, or they're going to. You know. That was Murigan's, what I took out of it.
1: Right, Murrigan's portrayed as a um, material-obsessed uh, brat through the entire book, who was not raised with a Mac. He he was not in the mutual adoption uh, club at all. And so he is a product of the family. And he is the one who, at in the end, is basically married to his mother, is really uh, disgusted by sex in general, does not like mushrooms. He's the antithesis of the entire island. And yet, he's in control of it.
0: What does that say about about Huxley's vision of this utopia.
1: Well, there's quite a few times in the book where the island says, well, if it happens, it happens. There's little to nothing that we can do about it. So in that much, you are correct. He does basically say, it's done. What's interesting to me is the choice that Farnaby makes. After the puppet show, Morgan shows up because Murigan, or Farnaby was actually a plant on the island to to usher in the oil like he was there to speed this little and he didn't care he because of the problems of his past with so much death and he basically was a reporter who was just traveling the globe wherever death was he he was brought in to basically kill the island and then at the very end or Close to the end, after the puppet show, Murican comes up. It's like, "Hey, you're supposed to come with me. My mom wants to see you. We're about to make this thing happen." And instead, Farnaby chooses to watch the death of this lady to really see death as it should be, instead of the, the misunderstanding that he's been haunted with his entire life. I thought that was really interesting to me. Farnaby chose. He chose. He chose life in the form of death, or life as a form of death. He 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 chose to watch the island die. He found his Buddha nature, and it was his destruction. Right, life yeah. is suffering. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. What do you what do you feel about this book? Being in a country whose whose uh, I mean, one of their top three religions is Buddhism.
0: That that is true. Um, but it's interesting because they often say um, in Japan, you're born. You're born a Buddhist, you are married uh, a Christian, and you die uh, a Shinto because those are kind of the, the the forms of the ceremonies that most people have here. Um, but the, the the real truth is everyone's pretty much, if not atheist, at least they just don't care. <laughs> so <laughs> it's interesting. There aren't many people who are actually deeply religious here. They just kind of go through the motions. Um, and I don't know what that indicates about this as a culture. But it is interesting to see some of the maybe maybe some of the parallels between. Um, a society like J- japanese society in terms of its lack of the same types of sexual mores that we have in the western world they they don't quite exist here or at least not at all, at all in the same way um people tend to think of sexuality differently and and the naked body is treated differently here than in the west and um and so that might be sort of reflective of this but i mean clearly this pala is meant to be an island um i believe in the indonesian archipelago um and I believe he explicitly wrote that at, at one point, so uh, so I think it's it's explicitly modeled as on on that uh, that type of that society in general. But interestingly, of course, it was the uh, the 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 combination of the old Raja and that traditional society and the the Scottish person who came here three generations ago to to inject the sort of science and Western traditions. So I think it's quite quite obvious he's making a very explicit kind of merger of all of these cultures, all of these things together. It's it's Buddhism and and uh, tantric yogic sex and the western and science and, and all of these things kind of mixed together to create supposedly the best of all worlds, right? I mean, I, I think that was pretty explicitly done.
1: <clears> hmm. <throat> yes. You know, I don't, I don't I, I just can't get over the fact that I enjoyed this book so much more than Brave New World. Hmm. T- to me, I, I it's think a I would, too. I would book. say that I think it
0: was a more enjoyable
1: book for me. Um, uh,
0: maybe because, at any rate, it's more fascinating to look at this idea of this this utopia, even if I don't agree with it in all its respects. It's interesting to see it laid out there, um, and it resonates on a, on on a, at least a more Positive level, as you point out i mean it's it's more about the taking out the positive bits of these experiences than obviously something like Brave New world, which I mean feels like a, a nightmare society, so it's certainly a more positive experience reading it I think
1: i don't know where to go from there
0: well, then why don't we start drawing this conclusion uh, this uh, conversation to a close but let me let me give you this then because i've been Playing a bit of devil's advocate here, but uh, I did find that this evening, while eating my dinner, I attempted to e- uh, grace in the Polynesian manner. So I chewed my first bite of food for a minute or two. <laughs> you chewed your grace. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I am completely and utterly impressed. <laughs> I tried it out. I thought, well, that sounds like an interesting idea. And, and it is an interesting idea. I mean, I like that idea of attentiveness, being attentive to the moment. I think that there is something to be learned from that. So,
1: um, That's how he opens the book.
0: Yes, indeed. Attention, attention. Do you, you, are wounds. you going to
1: get you a little bird that just flies around your room going, <laughs> Attention! Attention, I would probably train attention. it to say something more
0: interesting, but yeah, yeah, at any rate, yeah, at least it would make me pay attention uh, so no, I think there are there are valuable parts of this book i'm not I'm not really putting it down, um I think it was enjoyable and interesting. there was a lot of thought provoking material worth in here, a, worth another read, perhaps worth, worth another read, absolutely, and as I say, I highlighted so many different passages in here that I wish I could kind of go through them all, but um but that would be ridiculous. It would be rereading half the book. So I I will definitely reread this at some point
1: and come back to it.
0: And I don't know if this fundamentally changes my view
1: of Huxley. Um, Well, I don't disagree with you. I mean, with all of the Malthusian talk that is in here, you know how he was raised. I just feel that there was definitely a progression from Brave New World and Huxley as both a writer and a person.
0: Yes. Well, I would not dispute that. I would not dispute that. I think there was definitely a change, and that can definitely be attributed, I think, at least in large... To large extent to to his psychedelic experiences, um, and I don't know. I mean, I would be interested to know more biographical details about Huxley and his relationship to his brother, and what he thought his brother was doing with um, the uh, UNESCO and things like that, and, and the relation to his family history. I don't. You see, I don't know much about Aldous on a biographical level, and what he explicitly thought about his kind of his family history and all of that. So that would be my next level of exploration of this t- topic but uh, perhaps we can leave that for another time will it, it it really is interesting talking about all this with you so before we go are there any sort of any any resources you'd like to direct people to or anything you'd like to to sort of say in in conclusion of this conversation
1: well not necessarily pertaining to huxley i feel that everybody would uh, thoroughly enjoy reading both books back to back themselves and i don't want to forget to mention the Olympia Sync Summit. Have you heard of this yet? I have not. Well, um, you'll you should because it has your homeboy James Evan Pilato who is attending. The Does Olympia know S- that?
0: did he did he hold out on the uh, maybe he did tell me, sorry. <laughs> tell us about it. Dude,
1: come on. <laughs> Pilato, where are you at? The Olympia <laughs> Sync Summit is uh what's going on is I am a part of the Sync community. Um that is kind of umbrellaed, but not really controlled by Sync Book Press. We entertain all different ideas in what we call sync or synchromysticism or studies of synchronicity. Uh, but what has been happening over the last few years is this drive to get people together and present their work, so we can all sit down at, at tables together and, and really blow each other's mind. Um, the next one, uh, which actually has an Indiegogo campaign that you can find at the you know, indiegogo.com slash project slash the Olympia Sync Summit. Uh, we are needing all the help we can get, we're falling short of our goal. But as I said, it will be attended by James Evan Pilato, by Alan Green, who you've interviewed and uh, had a really great interview with, actually. Um, Rodney Asher, the director of Room 237, a bunch of sync heads like Joe Alexander, myself, Marty Leeds, Scott Onstott. Um, I would probably venture people to help donate or even attend if they're in the area, which would be Olympia, Washington, come mm-hmm. August eighth, ninth, and we only have a few days. I mean, it's going the 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 Indiegogo ends on the twenty fifth, I believe.
0: Yes, and I will uh, include the link of that, obviously, in the show notes for this and uh, also to the Sync Book, um, a page on the Sync Book about the Olympia Sync Summit that I'm seeing right now. So people can find out more about that and uh, hopefully attend if they're able to. So obviously that's Olympia, Washington, and uh, you can say hello to Pilato for me. Um he probably did tell me about this. I'm just not so attentive. I need to pay more attention attention
1: <laughs> <laughs> attention attention yeah i'm I'm really looking forward to shaking Pilato's hand it, uh, The whole format of uh forty two minutes although we've made it our own, was greatly inspired by the odd coupling that you and Pilato have on uh New world next week. <laughs>
0: I never, never quite thought of us as the odd couple before, but I guess there are parallels. That's
1: interesting. Oh, come on, James. <laughs> I mean... You're, you're, I mean, you're pretty straight-laced. You're a straight-laced Canadian whose work is very professional, and Pilato's got a soul patch. So.
0: <laughs> to be fair, I did grow a beard, so. Yes. Uh, maybe he's rubbing off. And <laughs> All right. Okay. Excellent stuff. Well, I did really appreciate this conversation, and I appreciate you getting me to read this book, because as, as I say, I did enjoy it, and I hope that the listeners out there did get something out of it. So, Will Morgan, SyncBook.com, thank you again for your time. I do appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Alright friends, there goes Will Morgan, and there ends another edition of Film Literature and the New World Order, but not so fast. Of course, first we have to assign you your homework for next month, and dip into the mailbag from last month. And, interestingly enough, we must have struck a chord with last month's edition of this series, where we talked to James Evan Pilato about Citizen Kane, because we received more email about that than about any other edition of this series so far. In fact, so many emails that I don't think I can go through them all right now. So if I don't get to your email in particular, please excuse me. But we will try to go through a few of them. For example, we had in one in from Phil who wrote about what happened to Orson Welles as a result of his going up against the establishment as represented by Hearst. He says, after what happened at Welles, everyone in the business got the message. There were some courageous directors who made reference to the elite sacrosect sacrosanct cabal behind the curtain, but look what happened to Kubrick after making Eyes Wide Shut to Polanski after Rosemary's Baby. I believe both filmmakers knew of and possibly witnessed one or more of the so-called Illuminati rituals. Then there's Pakula's Parallax View, which I recommend if you haven't seen it, a freak accident. Uh, We have Mark writing in saying that Citizen Gates has been done. uh, The idea of going up against the big figure of our day, I, Bill Gates, Citizen Gates has been done Peter Howitt's Antitrust, starring Tim Robbins as Gary Winston, almost as evil as Gates, but unfortunately refusing to take the ultimate risk of tackling the eugenics and depopulation agenda. Still a good thriller, and good enough and close enough to Gates to get panned by the critics. Except in China, apparently. Interesting. Well, thank you for that, Mark. I think I'll have to check that out. Next, we have Morrison, who writes, I really enjoyed your podcast on Citizen Kane. Very insightful. I thought your question, who as a creative filmmaker has gone up against the establishment? I would say Oliver Stone with JFK in 91. They really went after him when he did that film, and they still hate him, despite him towing the line on his 9-11 movie and Bush. However, his untold history with the United States is certainly an interesting take on U.S. history. Uh, We have Ryan writing in regards to the thing that we talked about in the mailbag from last month, which referred to something from the movie of the month before... This is getting a bit uh, referential here, but uh, we're talking about the adaptive mutation study about uh, uh, the, the lactose intolerant bacteria or whatever it was at this point. Well, apparently, if you search adaptive mutation on Wikipedia, you can find information about the study that was referenced last month. But this is all getting very, very meta-referential. So at this point, I think we'll drop that particular thread from the mailbag. Um, Isaac writes in to say, uh, in the last episode on Citizen Kane, you proposed the question multiple times, who would be the modern day Orson Welles taking on the big corporate media and putting their career on the line? The one person I kept thinking of during your podcast was Dave Chappelle. I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Dave Chappelle, son of highly educated and politically active African-Americans. A great summary of his career and life, as well as his challenges within Hollywood, can be found in his appearance on Inside the Actors Studio with James Lipton. And there's some more information there and some some links to um, some of Chappelle's work. In fact, I am f- familiar with Chappelle, and I think his, uh, his whole meltdown, as it's been framed, walking away from a $50 million contract for a season of his uh, television show is quite interesting, and I think he probably did stand up to the system to to some extent. Um, I'm not sure if he was Orson Welles, but he certainly was someone who didn't just toe the party line. So again, there are some people out there that are willing to stand up against the system, but as Phil was noting earlier, a lot of them tend to be uh, killed or derailed or de in various different ways. All right, well, we'll close up the mailbag for now. Once again, of course, if you have any insights or anything you'd like to add to our conversation about Island, please send them in and I'll be happy to read them out next month. And next month, speaking of which, we're going to be talking about a movie that probably a lot of you have heard of, even if you haven't seen it. I am talking about the 2007 Hollywood dramatization of the events leading up to the United States' covert involvement in Afghanistan in the 1980s, the Tom Hanks, Julie Roberts, Philip Seymour Hoffman vehicle, Charlie Wilson's War. So we will be dissecting that next month, so please have uh, have that queued up and watched by the time... The third Monday of June rolls around. And until then, thank you as always for listening. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Talk to you again real soon.